Sorry. Hello, everybody, and good evening. Welcome to Documentation Not Included. My name is Josie. This is episode version 8.1, a patch to our series on skills and things like that. In this one, it is a startup stack. Postgre, however you wish to pronounce Postgres, Postgre, however it is, and GraphQL. And we are joined by Gordon Johnson from Lineup Ninja. Now, thank you. Thank you for joining us live on Twitch. My pleasure. And also to you, Gordon, I'm thanking our viewers before I'm thanking our guests. That just shows you how way out of it I am. Wow. But so, uh, for those... Thank you for having me. Well, hold on. Let sorry, me just get one sorry. last thing let up. Me, Not let, you. Let me I'm back. picking on let Chris. Me back. Let me thank the guests. We have a guest tonight who is exceptionally eager. I'm just going to point that out. Uh, but yes, I want to thank all of you guys for joining us live on Twitch. If you are not here and listening to us in the future on podcast, we hope to see you live Thursday, 7 p.m. at twitch.tv slash DNI stream. And uh, once again, we are missing Patrick, as the people who keep watching every week uh, can see. Still don't know where he is. I think he's um, he's shown his face on on. Uh, Twitter again today, but um, he's still trying to find accommodation, I believe. It'd still probably be a while until he gets internet as well, so right, that's where we are. Uh, today, yeah. as Josie has said, we are joined by Gordon from Lineup Ninja, and what we normally do, Gordon, is we allow the guests to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about yourself and what your what your company does, if you want to talk about your company. Okay, sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Uh, this is something we've wanted to do for a long time, Josie, and uh, yeah, I'm really keen to have this opportunity. And hi to everybody on the stream. Uh, yep, yeah, uh, my name's Gordon. Uh, I'm one half of a tech startup called Lineup Ninja. Uh, before I got into that, I was in the tech world for about 20 years. Started off as a Unix guy, worked my way up to infrastructure architecture, uh, building big, you know, information systems. Kind of got out of that, needed a new opportunity, and uh, started a startup with a friend. Uh, I'm the tech brains of that startup and uh my co-founder is the sales marketing and product brains oh you always so, need the uh, sales guy i i swear God. i struggle oh, i hate yes. that side yeah. oh, <laughs> not word. really the, uh, yeah could not do it without it he is brilliant sales the, sales uh, and business selling bringing in the leads and yeah absolutely great. is so, unix still it's a thing a good partnership is you said you were a unix, unix guy but is unix still a thing because i i it's a long time uh, since i've seen a unix system well, it was Solaris when I started. Oof. Solaris 8 and then Solaris 9 and so on, and Solaris Zones and all yeah. that big infrastructure, you know, all the big sun, like sun fire servers, domains, all that world. Yeah. And now, I don't know, it seems to be all be serverless, stick some node in Lambda and maybe run something on Fargate. Yeah. Cloud. Yeah. <laughs> it's cloud. The Nexus says Nix is still a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah gone, are the, gone are the days of rolling servers into a data center to boost a uh, client. Still uh, happens occasionally. Christmas. We still get we still get dedicated uh, servers sure, and that, I'm, but it's, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. It, it's, but, uh, it's funny. I've seen so many like uh, joke comic and memes nowadays where someone says, you know, they're sitting there going, hey, we have dedicated servers and everyone else is just kind of snickering at them going, ha 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 ha, you're using a dedicated server. <laughs> But yes, so we're now going to ask our icebreaker question. This is okay. a question that has absolutely nothing to do with programming or the development world. It's just a chance to get to better know ourselves and our guests. For those of you who are listening in the future, tweet at us with hashtag DNIStream to let us know your answer to this question. And for those of you watching, I can't believe you just made a hashtag sign with you, your you hands. You asked one, so I thought I'd finish it. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. I, I, wow. But That's anyway, as trendy here... as I've ever been, by the way. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's do it. 
<laughs> all right, there you go. For those not watching, all three of us have now officially made the hashtag sign with our fingers. We are so straight. It's so down with the kids. But yes, here is your question for today. What is the best cheese and why? Oh. Mm. Guest first. Okay. <laughs> He's passing cheese. it on because oh, he has someone so to many, pass it on so to. So many tasty cheeses out there. I think favorite cheese at the moment, camembert, uh, baked in an oven, uh, nicely melted, served with some bread, some nice meats, and yeah, delicious. I have a confession. I had not camembert for the first time this Christmas. I'd not had it before then, um, and it was baked, wow. you know, because I think there was a Tesco, not Tesco, an a Marks and Spencer advert on TV, and it really tempted my wife, so we tried it out. She hated it. I, I loved it. There are other foods out there. Extra sharp cheddar, the Nexus says. Mine is one that I have tried for the very first time in the past week. I had a craving for greasy spoon food from America, uh, which is, you know, the kind of thing you walk into a little dive that's got a little jukebox kind of a thing. And I was explaining the recipe to my husband of what I'd like to eat because he cooks amazing meals. And he misread something and he picked up goat's cheese. Okay. I have never in my life had goat's cheese oh, until goat's cheese. this past week. And the way he did it is he put the goat's cheese inside of the hamburger and then slathered it with other cheeses and stuff. And it was, it was, it is better than cream cheese. It is amazing. And like, before then, I would have said Wensleydale. Mm. Interesting because I had a small obsession. I, okay, I have a big obsession with Wensleydale, and I have to agree, I love extra sharp cheddar. But this goat's cheese has just been the thing for me. So, if, if, yeah. he, if he misread something as goat's cheese, what was it supposed to be? Uh, gooey cheese. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, right. I, I was, I, to be fair, quite, quite, quite I was. Different. I was lying in bed, typing at the same time as I was waking up because it was like I had a dream about greasy spoon food. So I was handing. So in this particular case, it's it's not his fault. He he did right. He was good husband. I was bad wife. And actually, by the way, my dear husband, when you listen to this and watch it again, I am admitting live on air that I was wrong. Liability. And you like were it. right. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so there you go. Proof that it can happen. Wives can be wrong. Uh, my, my answer is nearly all the cheeses apart from goat's cheese. Honestly, goat's cheese is, oh. I mean, I don't mind it in, you know, on a burger or something like that. If it's with things and it but on its own, I'm thinking of cheeses on their own. Recently, I discovered mm, um, yeah. there's a, an Aldi uh, cheese. I don't know if you can get it anywhere else, but it's called Red Fox, and it's like a, a Red Leicester, and it's got little cr crumb. It's like, you know when cheese goes hard on the edges? Um, yeah. And it's mm. it's quite bitey, bitty, you know, when you, you bite it. It's like it's got that running through it, and I don't like that normally, but the cheese in particular is really nice, really strong. It's, like, it's almost like a strong cheddar, but I really like that. I'm really enjoying that at the moment. But I will eat almost any kind of cheese. It's my favorite thing in the world i love it i love food have to try that red fox <laughs> it is it's nice i'd recommend it not not expensive either yeah for, for yeah. those of you who can actually get to an oldie and find it there are other stores are. and other things available blah 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 <laughs> and yeah, certainly right. galaxy terms uh, who cares I, I i have a very convenient aldi at just the end of my road it's a lifesaver yeah 
great. Very nice. And Vina says, I do like cheddar. I'm not a fan of goat's cheese, mostly as I seem to react badly on those. Oh. Aww. But yes, cheese is a thing. At least nobody said primula. <laughs> oh, oh, don't do or processed cheeses. Or, or squeezy cheese. Is, is that technically a cheese? cheese. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I stopped eating processed cheeses um, last year or the year, the year before because of the diet I was on. And then I, and then I just, I'm like, well, what's the point in them? They're just... Mm. You know, it, yeah, it, yeah, it has to be proper cheeses. This, this is all the good, good parts of cheese that's been taken out. Well, see, that's the thing. Uh, there's cheese, exactly. Thank you, the Nexus Cheese Whiz, no. Cheese Whiz out of America. It is out <laughs> oh. of a spray can where you switch <laughs> it and it sprays stuff. out, and it is, it is godly. It is amazing. Before, before we move on, because we have talked about cheese a little bit too long for a development podcast, but let's. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move Wait, on, I have to say, I have to, I have to give a caveat to that processed cheese bit. The cheapest, you know, um, you know, like the slices that you can get, the cheapest processed slices, those yeah. on a burger, kind of folded up into four on a barbecue, that's nice. That's that's the only exception to processed yeah. cheese I'll make, mm. but it's not real cheese, yeah. you know. It's like cheese whiz. Cheese whiz isn't real, is it? It's not real cheese. Honestly, don't know. I've never bothered to read the instructions. It's invented. <laughs> or the ingredients in that instruction. No, not reading instructions. That's a big part of our show. I also love the fact that Chris had to have the last word on cheese. Sorry, uh, cheese is brilliant. Like guinea pigs. Guinea pigs and cheese. That's all you need in your life. Right. Okay, so let's move on to our topic. So we are kind of touching on startup tech stacks, but also specifically Gordon's startup tech stack that he's uh, decided to move into. So we're talking about Postgre. PostgreSQL, PostgreSQL, whatever we want to call it, um, and GraphQL, a query <laughs> language. So uh -huh. um, what we're going to start with is a little bit explanation to those who don't know what they are as to what each one of them they are. We're going to let Gordon do that. So go ahead, Gordon. Tell us what Postgre sure. is. Or how okay. to say it po to start po off Postgre, PostgreSQL. Elephant. Postgre. Elephants, yes. It's, it's logos and elephants. We just call it the elephants. The, it never forgets. The, uh, yeah. But uh, I, I always go for Postgres. Some people go PostgreSQL, but uh, it's too long. Postgres. Too many uh, syllables. Ain't a, got yeah. time for that. Yeah, haven't got time. No, move on. <laughs> it's it's a open source relational database system similar to MySQL. If people work with that, similar to Oracle. If people are coming from the enterprise world, uh, kind of really fits that kind of relational space. Um, it's uh, become it's version 11 now or 10 and it's become becoming more and more popular supported by a lot of vendors all over the place like on amazon rds or you know lots of people providing it as a service um i think one it's of the reasons we went open source as well and free fully. oh sorry yes it is open source and free uh which are big wins for us as a startup um my background is oracle um which uh, is the antithesis of postgres i guess the, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of licensing fees and very much closed source. And if you've got a problem, then, well, either Oracle Support can help you. But if they can't, then, well, you're stuffed, aren't you? <laughs> the, uh, whereas Postgres, open community, open support, all that good stuff. The, um, um, so uh, the so in terms of uh, relation, it's, it's obviously like SQL Server as well. It covers there's there's, there's a lot of them. You know, MySQL. I, did, I have a lot of experience in a lot of different relational tools, uh, relational databases, uh, or RDBMSs as we call them. But I haven't. I've worked integrating into Postgre, but I haven't actually worked with creating a database in Postgre. But they're all very similar. They all use an ANSI SQL of some sort. They all have extensions. Is there a name for the extensions in Postgre? 
Is it got a name? Because uh, like I'm not, in I'm not sure, but in SQL uh, Server, it's Transact really SQL, isn't extension. it? Right. I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but there's a particularly uh, popular extension for Postgres called PostGIS, uh, okay. which is really big in the you know, GIS world. And right. It's part of pop, uh, Postgres's popularity there. So GraphQL then. Brief explanation of, so, of what that is. Yeah, GraphQL. Um, people, uh, I might just give a little bit of background uh, and go on a bit of a tangent about REST before going to GraphQL. Okay. Oh, okay. wait, wait. If you're going to go into a tangent about REST, do I need to like wear protection? <laughs> I, I, I know people who do, will do swear by REST, of, and I know yeah, some people okay. who will like immediately put their hands up and we're like, oh, what's the real difference here? And all like, should I be in protection mode? The, oh. I'm. Uh, Going to, I, I, I'm going to go easy on REST. There, like, there are a lot of REST fans out there, but there uh, are, there are, and for good reasons. There, there, there's a, a lot of platforms use REST, and GraphQL is not like a new REST. Like it isn't throw all your REST away. It's now let's do GraphQL. It's not that. They're they're different, and they serve different purposes. And uh, I just wanted to touch briefly on REST, and I know I, I suspect a lot of uh, people watching will pretty familiar with rest uh, but uh for those that aren't it's a uh well it's often implemented as a standard for making calls to your application from your client over http uh and when it's done over http it popularly uses the http verbs like get an object so uh, at our company we do event management so get an event or get a session uh, and then similarly you can do post uh patch put and all the verbs for updating and deleting all the, the objects over rest um that's become super popular. I think it first uh, it was first written up in a uh, white paper or a um, or somebody's uh, doctorate uh, back in about 2000. It became super popular. Um, but one of the problems it has is it's um, it requires a lot of work server side to generate specific endpoints for things. Uh, and the way, say, um, as I say, we do event management. So you might have an a event endpoint. So get event uh, ID one. Uh, you know, update event ID one, um, and then an event have many sessions uh, going on at your event. So, and that would be a separate endpoint. So, sessions get session. So, often, if say you wanted to retrieve all of the sessions for your event, you say get session one. Uh, sorry, get event one. That would come back with a list of sessions, and then for each session, you iterate through that, saying get session one, get session two, get session three, um, and that kind of that is a bit of a problem uh, in terms of scaling and is often known as the M plus one problem. Like I make one request my event and then I need to request all these sessions. Um, there's plenty of ways around that in uh, REST. So you often say like, oh, my event endpoint, I'll add a include equals sessions or something to it. So yep. now my endpoint says get event, right? And I want all these sessions. Uh, and that's fine uh, and you know works effectively. But that, as you do that, um, you're adding more and more complexity in at the, that REST layer. Um, and it's, that's one of the uh, significant differences with uh, with uh, GraphQL and how that uh, takes a completely different approach to uh, modeling your data, which is very much around modeling your data as it is, rather than providing a, a series of endpoints. Um, and I just wanted to say that a little bit about REST and now I'll dive into, uh, uh, into how GraphQL kind of works differently there. The, uh, okay. Um, so starting, your your your. I mean, you you just said something then. I'm not sure if it was if it was. Um, it's something I wasn't aware of anyway. If it was a fact, 
You said that REST can be implemented via HTTP. Now, as far as I was aware, it has to be implemented via HTTP because it uses verbs. Uh, REST by default. Now, am I, am I wrong there, or you is is that is there something um, I don't as know? I understand, as I understand it, you can still do REST in its kind of basic, uh, basic underlying comp, um, statuses. What does it kind of stand for? Representational, uh, representational state representational transfer. Representational state transfer. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I love acronyms. <laughs> <laughs> we call them. We call these restful services normally as well, because of the acronym. Yes. So exactly. It's a, um, it's a, it's a, so, so all the state. It's a stateless service, and the state's then encapsulated in that request. And it's, it can be implemented over like AMQP and, and other services using similar kind of concepts. Okay. The uh, but is by default. And largely implemented over HTTP. Okay, I've only the, come uh, across it in HTTP, so that's interesting. So no, I'll, I yeah. might look at. Um, in fact, uh, I will um, look that up. <laughs> and, uh, and and so had I until I was researching a bit more background for the show. And then uh, it says, uh, it's our over guest has done research. And, uh, I don't know what to do. I did not, I did not know that. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so yes, apparently it can be run over uh, other protocols as well. Excellent. But, right. Uh, so so GraphQL. How does uh, that? Yes, I've never how seen does... it implemented. I've anything else. How does uh, how does GraphQL sit then? So that sits above the REST layer, or sorry, behind the REST layer rather, behind the uh, the message uh, no transport layer. It sits on the server side, and it essentially offers you an interface to a RESTful service of some description, and allows you st a standardization of querying your data source or querying your service. As far as I'm aware. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the idea. Is <clears throat> GraphQL. Um, just if you just take the name apart, it's literally graph query language. Uh, and then you think of that in like uh, SQL. Um, what does the S in SQL stand for? Structured. Structured. Thank you. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> had a, a brain freeze there. We all have them, don't worry. <laughs> the, uh, so it's a similar kind of concept in that it's GraphQL, so it's for querying graphs. And, um, and a lot of people, when they think GraphQL, think graph databases like uh, Neo4j or Neptune or one of those kind of things. And, but it's not necessarily that um, you don't have to use it with a graph database at all. Um, and, but, uh, and people often think like social networks because it came out of Facebook, GraphQL, uh -huh. uh, and they, they were behind it. So, and obviously, and there they're querying the social graph. And, um, but really, it just means graph in terms of like connected data. Yeah. Um, so that could be in RDBMS, it could be anywhere. Um, and uh, at its concept with GraphQL, it's strongly typed. So um, you start by defining your types of objects. So as I said earlier, we have an event. So we have an event object, it's got a name, it's got a start date, end date, and a list of sessions. Um, so then you define a uh, sessions object. Uh, and that's got you know a list of speakers, start time, end time, duration, uh, those kind of things. Um, <clears throat> so when you start designing your GraphQL uh, schema, you go through and define all these types and put all the relationships together. Yep. Um, and that then defines how the uh, is presented to the client. Um, for implementing that um, server side, you then write what are called resolvers. So for each of these types you've defined, you can define how that's resolved. So for an event, I want to look up this table in the database, or I want to perform an Elasticsearch query, or I want to run some Lambda function, or whatever. Okay. Uh, the, the back the back end can be um, can be whatever you want, and um, potentially you can you can merge multiple different um, resolvers together. So if you've got an event and one of the fields is 
oh, I don't know, like number of attendees signed in or something and that needs that field to go off and make a query in a different database from the rest mm -hmm. of your database, you can implement that in your GraphQL server. So it, to the client, it just appears like an event object, but all this backend uh, magic has happened to get that data together. So that's one of the things that um, I found interesting when I was actually looking at GraphQL um, is the fact that you can use it to connect to so many different database objects and in different platforms. You can have it, you know, take information that it has gained from a Postgre database and you can actually pull and use it to pull information from a MySQL database or an SQL server or something like that. It's, it's, it's almost like a translator in a way, or a way that allows you to do translation. And I thought that was really fascinating. It sounds but, to me like it's like, yeah, a, um, I'm, as I come from the Microsoft world, have you any experience of the Microsoft world, um, Microsoft MVC, uh, Web API, RESTful, WCF services? Not really, like no, most of my back background's Java. Right, okay, so I mean, Java has its own implementation of web services, which I haven't worked with at all. I even even looked at them, so I couldn't comment on how they work, but I'm assuming they would be similar to the Microsoft world in some way, shape, and form. So in in the .NET world, we have um, we have a web API, and that web API provides uh, a structure, kind of a magic structure in the background that uh, sits. You you create controllers, and then underneath the controllers, the controllers define things like the actions or the endpoints in your in this instance, um, and it defines the verbs, and it defines the uh, the parameters and the types and all of that kind of stuff. And then also you um, you you write implementation inside the controllers, which is exactly as you described. You might write you might use an adapter pattern. You might use a, you might use CQRS pattern to to call. You might use a service pattern to call sure. other databases. Elasticsearch. You might want to call SQL Server, MySQL. Um, you can use a combination of them all, but it's entirely up to you how you implement that. Now it sounds to me like GraphQL has its own built-in adapters of some description, so you can. Or, um, so I think I think it's a similar concept in right. that you would write your resolvers, um, and that's up to you depending on how you choose to implement this. Okay. Um, I'm going to touch on this in a little bit about how we've how we've done that, but that's it's implementation independent on how you do the resolvers. Right. Okay. Um, but the, the the real transformation is uh, around the like the client side, um, because you're exposing the schema to the client, and it's just the types of objects and their relationships. The client can request um, whatever structure it wants from the back end uh, when it wants it. Okay. Um, so it can. It works a little bit like you define your query. Um, uh, you define your query to say I want an event and I want these specific fields. Mm -hmm. So you can say I want a subset of the available fields and only the one the client needs. Um, and then you can say I want the sessions and for each session I need the name and the speakers, but I don't care about the duration, so I won't ask the back end for that. And so on, you can follow through these relationships as you need. So it makes it really easy to iterate quickly when you're developing on the client, because you don't have to then start implementing new backend right, APIs or tweak them how they're loading to so support a new client query. We're talking about things like the Google API for YouTube or, or probably any of the Google APIs, to be fair, things like the Facebook graph. API, where you can define fields or you can define sets of fields that you want to want the data to return back to you, or or even data sets, entire entire enum enumerations of data that you need back. I see what you mean. So that that does distinguish yeah. it quite a bit from uh, a standard framework like .NET or, or sorry .NET MVC or, or um, Web API, because that 
they essentially, you create the schema. It's fairly hard-coded. You can create it dynamically if you want. You could implement GraphQL inside Web API, but generally, out of the box, it is structured to how you want the clients to see it. It isn't dynamic. And that's I think that's the distinction here between between the yeah. two. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, it, it's really built. It's become a um, like a, a standard way of expressing these services in I want to be able to traverse these different... Um, different types and then take that knowledge to other other services so yeah. certainly with rest people often will implement that slightly differently if they'll use dash include this or you know that every service you come to is slightly different whereas with graphql it's more of a standard yeah although having said that it's turned out to be less of a standard than i thought it was when i got started and you, you think okay so there'll be a standard way of doing where or a standard way you know filtering and all this and uh no no. no, it's no, software. It's of course, nothing's standardized no. in software. No, of there is. The I think to the client, though, that's the important thing here. I think the client is as standard as it possibly can. The client consumption of the service will be standardized using something like GraphQL. Is that right? Or? Yes, in, ter in terms of requesting the shape, but things like where and like being able to provide certain filtering and things, it depends on your GraphQL server implementation. That isn't there is there isn't a standard. No, uh, there might be. There will perhaps become a standard, but it's still quite new, and uh, your different GraphQL servers have decided to implement it differently. Right, um, which is a bit of a sticking point, really. And um, I, it's the kind of thing GraphQL is very new. And you get the feeling as these standards emerge, one will perhaps get adopted and, you know. The, there is another API like standard, and I, f I was working with it the other week, um, Swagger. Have you heard of Swagger? Uh, yes. So yeah, Swagger so is finding REST interfaces. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Swagger allows, in, in the .NET world, it allows us to, we just apply a package, basically, configure it a little bit, you know, set up the build um, uh, parameters, and then essentially it will produce API documentation for us based on the code base, based on the comments in our code and based on, and it will also tell the consumers that this is the, this is the schema, although REST isn't as schemaless normally. Normally you just essentially call an endpoint, pull the data back and then work with it. But having a schema as a consumer is a lot easier to work with most of the time. Um, but yeah, there's another standardization. I can't remember what it's called now. I'm going to look it up while you're talking, but... Um, Get ready for typing and tip-tapping. Yeah, I have a mechanical <laughs> keyboard. I'll try and keep it quiet. <laughs> so while I'm doing that, um, why have you chosen, to, specifically for your startup, why have you chosen to move sure. into this, uh, into different structure? And where were you before, in fact? What did you start with? I love how Chris just goes, Josie, you have a mind. I'm going to jump into it, tear it apart, and actually use your words for you. He, he literally took the words out of my mouth. But there you go. <laughs> okay, so the um, uh, we started, we've been going about two years now. Uh, we started on Firebase Real-Time Database, uh, which might be, I'm not sure how many people on the stream will have heard of, and it's maybe not a traditional choice, uh, but um, just a quick overview of that. Um, it's a it's now owned by Google, um, but the concept of the part, the Firebase real time database is that it's a big JSON blob. Your data is just one massive JSON structure. So you have events and then an event ID, and it just nests down to this big structure. Um, the cool thing about it is it's all real time. So once you've requested an event from the back end, it just keeps uh, giving you updates. So it makes it really easy to do collaborative edit editing in your app because everybody's just looking at the same data all the time. Um, and it worked really well. Um, it ha I, we started to run into problems with it. 
it's quite difficult or it doesn't really have a very sophisticated query language so it's not like you could do like really complex joins on the server side you've got to pull all the data back to the client do the joins there and uh, scales I, just about as, as well as you might think that's the thing i mean one of the the biggest things when i got involved in databases way back in the day uh, things one of the things um that we had to understand was locking mechanics mm. Because, I mean, when you start doing anything that has some kind of transaction in any way, shape, or form, you have to be able to lock a record. Mm -hmm. So just the idea of, it, it feels to me like a loose record mm -hmm. that's just sort of waving out in the wind. Like the the inner, the little tiny voice in my head is screaming in yes. horror yep. at the concept of that. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It has, uh, it, has it has transaction support, but it's really hard to use. And uh, it has security rules that sort of enforce your data, but uh, you start to lose sleep over not having. Where are your primary constraints. keys? Where exactly. are your secondary keys? Uh, What's uh, up uh, with this? And, and exactly, this is the conclusion we came to. That uh, there's only so far you can go down this like NoSQL world of like you know. It was easy. It was great for our initial startup because you just put stuff in it. It worked, and we got data back. No, no SQL. Started to. No SQL is specifically great at big data. Uh, relational databases, when you start hitting terabytes, humongous amounts of, of, data, of data records, it, it starts struggling, uh, depending on how it's designed and what your warehousing is like and what your queries are like. But when, but NoSQL is specifically great at that, but it's it's really difficult as a developer from an RDBMS world to come, to, to accept that everything is sat in one blob, in one set, in one, it's, Oh. You know, it's, it's interesting <laughs> to me. I, I made mention of the fact that I had a little story, and I'm going to go back and tell the tiny little story here. When I first got involved in databases, I was absolutely fascinated by how everything was relational. And I was taught from the get-go everything about flat all the way up to the relational. I mean, this is way back in the day. And I made a comment to my teacher one day, and my teacher said it will never be done. But I think in a way it has but differently, I said, it would be really interesting if we actually saw an object-oriented database. Mm. You know, I said, it would be really fascinating to see something like that. But instead, what I think is really common nowadays is that we have the relational database and it's the object-oriented languages and things that are used to do all of the work that's what it feels like i mean it's yeah, it's yeah. been a while since i've dug yeah. into those things but it was just a statement of it'll never happen you've got oh, all, like, orms that sit over the top of um, relational yeah. databases as well which are essentially triple o, you know double o languages that um have a mm. framework that query the database in the native language but it's not i it's yeah it's got a lot of overhead i'm not saying they're, they're great for certain things but when it comes to enterprise stuff that you know, you have to be a lot more careful about how you query in the data. Mm. And save blobbing away. Mm. <laughs> it's 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 that normalization thing in my head that says, why have you got a copy of that record? Why is that uh, record copied 500 I, I, billion I times? I get so frustrated with people who don't understand <laughs> yeah. the concept of normalization and the different two and Fs, three and Fs, and all the things that you can do and stuff like that. And they sit there and they're just like, like you look at the, the actual scheme and the structures that they have for databases. And there are times I'll look at them and I'm just in there going, why? Yeah, yeah that's, kind of, that's what that's... we found as we were going along in that we started to have to denormalize a certain amount of the data because yeah. it's no SQL, so we couldn't query it, so we needed to denormalize it. And then, like, why are we doing this? This is not working. Uh, we're getting more and more code to do all this denormalization that's then, you know, a headache to maintain. 
and say this is this isn't working for us. We well, the, the, beauty, the beauty of that data. And if you organise your NoSQL data store correctly and you use it properly, you shouldn't be denormalizing at all. It should be in no. such a structure where you don't need to do that. But the problem is, is when you need to update it, you need to add a record or you need to, and especially depending on how you're consuming that data as well, if you're consuming it in a, in a way that expects a new field to exist for all of the old records, it, it then becomes a problem, you know? Uh, how cruddy. Oh. <laughs> Okay, for those who don't get that crud create read update delete it's delete, everything Jolson. data oriented and thus it's crud okay. uh, that other specification by the way <laughs> that um, that specification is open the open api specification and it's uh, it's used in things like apogee and um uh, swagger specifically uses it as well and uh, i think that's probably becoming the norm for for most, I bet GraphQL uses it. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not implemented in in GraphQL. I, I, th I think, as I understand it, I think that would be separate. I think because GraphQL uses HTTP for a transport layer, but that's about it. So it doesn't use like HTTP verbs for syntax. When um, rather than that, rather that you define your query, it's, it looks a little bit like JSON, the query format. Yep. It, it really it, does. It looks almost <laughs> enough like it, and then you realise it's not, and you keep, you find yourself tripping over the syntax being a kind of a little bit different, and the brackets aren't quite the ones you might expect. Yeah. Uh, or in the order or how many you need to have. Uh, yeah, exactly. As Use a, a text editor, friends. People who will auto-complete the things for you when it knows yes. what language you're writing. Uh, yeah, definitely use a syntax-aware text editor. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. <laughs> yes. But, uh, in GraphQL, there's three main, um, uh, I guess, uh, verbs, effectively. Uh, query, which is does what it says on the tin. Uh, mutation, also similarly. But mutation for uh, inserts, updates, and deletes uh, are all called mutations. Um, and then uh, you've got subscription as well. Um, and that can be implemented slightly differently depending on the back end. Um, but um, yeah, in GraphQL, you can subscribe to a query. So, uh, and this is a big thing in uh, AWS AppSync, which is Amazon's posted GraphQL uh, service, which is very similar to API Gateway, if anybody's worked with API Gateway. Mm -hmm. AppSync App is their kind of equivalent for GraphQL. Um, and on AppSync, you go through and you configure your resolvers and say this bit of data maps over here. Um, but one thing it can do is uh, your client can subscribe. So say that, you know, to use the event example again, it loads the event. Um, somebody changes the start time for the event that is then propagated to all the subscribed clients. Um, and that was one of the things we were looking for when moving to GraphQL from Firebase, because our application is entirely built on Firebase subscriptions. So all the communication from the client to the back end, or particularly from the back end back to the client, uh, is through subscriptions in the database. So like user submits a job, the uh, the client subscribes to see the status of that job, the back end goes off, does whatever needs to be done, and then marks that job done and tells the client where to redirect the user to. Um, so it was all built on this um, subscription model. So wherever we were going to from Firebase needed uh, robust subscription support. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm presuming you're, you're talking about like an observer pattern of subscription there. Exactly yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking yeah, at the .NET implementation uh, for GraphQL, and yeah, it's uh -huh. it's it's fairly. Uh, I have I have seen people implement it before, but I've never actually worked with it. But it's fairly straightforward from the, from the look of it. Mm -hmm. 
I'm putting some links in the document, by the way, so we will have those in the show notes, Ooh, all of this, all of we'll this new stuff. We'll have links to share with everybody. Yay. Check, out, check out the juicy links. Yeah. <laughs> They're very juicy today. <laughs> uh, uh, once we kind of decided that we needed to be off Firebase, oh, there, were, there was none of, there were kind of more um, fundamental problems we had. Um, with it being a Google service, it's not available to users in China because of the big firewall, the great firewall of China. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. we, have, we have clients who, because we do event management, we have uh, their our end users um, have their end users who want to attend events and potentially they're in China or Saudi Arabia. And, uh, our service needs to be available globally, and uh, real time database is isn't, uh, and as I understand it, it is unlikely to be. Uh, and um, and also people wanted our data, wanted their data hosted in the EU. The uh, I'm sure for GDPR. Mm-hmm. And whether I mean, personally, I don't believe that's necessary. But uh, we have GDPR is a topic for a whole another show. Day. I think we exactly. need a legislation <laughs> um, version yeah. for for this show that we can we can dig into that kind of stuff like cooking. I need to see if I can get one out. of the lawyers I know on, <laughs> and oh. we can just sit there and be like, so oh explain <laughs> to us a, why, like an ext- ta- extended episode. Well, see, the thing is, the only thing I will say about GDPR is I understand the purpose, and I like the fact that it is kind of holding people accountable, but us tiny people at the bottom now have such a high overhead Mm -hmm. on some of the things that we have to do that it actually impacts us negatively. Yeah. But I, you know, everyone who is familiar with the show knows I'm a bit of a bitch when it comes to security. I want proper privacy i want proper rules i want proper protection proper acls like i am a bit of a bitch about that stuff so you know in my particular case i get it but at the same time dear god (laughs) implement Uh, things right right it's good but oh my word ah yes but anyway, yes. So in your particular case, part of the reason why you made the migration that you did was because you needed something to be able to handle the way you want the records to be accessed, how you wanted them to also be, you know, I guess in a way stored. I mean, you didn't, yeah. you didn't want, well, I just, the concept of the blob keeps like I'm hiccuping in my brain. And then of course, obviously accessibility is another big thing. So in your case, did you look at anything else besides Postgre? And I now have to come with GraphQL or something like that. GraphQL. But did you look at anything else besides those? Uh, I think the, we, well, I did consider just doing a traditional REST backend and like standing that up and going through that and looking at resolvers. Uh, but GraphQL was quite uh, soon on our roadmap. Partly, I started looking at AWS AppSync, which I mentioned earlier, because um, mm-hmm. I'd seen that announced the reInvent, not the one just gone, but the one before, or maybe the year before that. And I kind of always had kind of an idea of maybe that's where we would go if we needed to get off Firebase. And then I started looking at that, and boy, it's complex. The uh, You can do a lot of powerful things in there, but, oh, you know, you stare at it. You're looking at the documentation, you think, I think it needs like a month for me to even understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I, I like, at right, least I'll, they I'll, included I'll, documentation I'll <laughs> well that's true the documentation was included it's just uh, complicated <laughs> over and above uh, what's needed the, uh, I, I, it's just too too much power almost and then so I started to look at what are the solutions that are out there where we can um, just get our data into a database and have GraphQL in front of it and just have that happen without us having to do too much 
Um, and there's a chemical few products on the market. Uh, one called Hasura, uh, which we ultimately went with. Uh, one called Postgraphile, uh, and another similar product called Prisma. Um, and, I'm familiar and... with Prisma, okay. but I'm not familiar uh, with the others. So uh, they're uh, they're all very similar. I think one of the differences, um, particularly Hasura and Postgraphile, are about providing a GraphQL endpoint for your existing Postgres database. So okay. you create your Postgres database. You could even have your existing production Postgres database already running. Um, and then you start up either Hasura or Postgraphile in front of it. Uh, it interrogates the schema. Uh, and you can go through, and I'm, I'm way more familiar with Hasura, but I think it's similar in Postgraphile. Uh, you go through and map out the relationships between the objects. Um, like when you start Hasura, it would say, oh, you've got an event table, you've got a session table. It looks at the following key relationships and says, I think this field in session is this field in event, and you can use the UI to create it, or it's got a, like a YAML file for configs. Okay. Um, and then, so you, when we did the migration, we just built the whole Postgres schema, put Azure in front of it, said these are the relationships, and that was about it. Um, well, security aside, can come back to that. But, <laughs> yeah. My eyebrows were already uh, raising. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 no, not forgotten. So yeah. is, is Hashira yeah. purely UI-driven, then? Uh, no. So um, oh, those guys have a brilliant onboarding experience. Yeah. You can just go on their website, click, I want to try this on Heroku. It starts the Heroku app, and, you know, two minutes later, you're like, tap, 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 tap. Oh, this is I just cool. introduced Chris the, uh... to Heroku today. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. The, uh, it's the, just the... up and running, and it's just amazing. The problem with our industry is that I've got I've got 20 years of experience and my experience is very broad, but I'd, I, half of the things that you're talking about today, I've heard of Postgre and GraphQL, but that's pretty, pretty much everything else I've never even heard of because I use alternatives. And every time you probably noticed, every time that you mention something, I'm trying to relate it to something that I've used that's similar. They're all the same. It really doesn't matter which one you choose. It's whatever you're comfortable with, whatever your stack and your experience kind of. And this is Absolutely. kind of half of the show subject today is we're talking about. As a startup, what do you do? Don't just choose a new technology because you're, you know, because it's cool and funky and uh, glittery and shiny. Yeah. Choose it because uh -huh. it's going to get you to be able to sell your product and make money off your exactly. product, at, yep. you know, as quickly exactly as possible. That. Well, it, 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 and it, it's that it's the quickly as possible that's the key there. Yeah. Yes. The, the, uh, we don't have time to spend ages writing loads of complex boilerplate or you know learning really complicated technologies. And we needed something to move to for a customer deal. And like that had a hard deadline and we needed to make it happen. Uh, and came across the Sura and you run this in front of your Postgres schema. And we'd always had a schema in Firebase. We yeah. had an ORM that I put together. So we had a schema we could export and import into Postgres. Run a Sura in front of it. And then, then I just had to go through and convert the ORM to now talk to the GraphQL endpoint rather than uh, Firebase. And we, well, from starting that to being in production was about six weeks. Um, and now we have a platform that can grow properly. It runs on RDS, on Amazon RDS. So we know we can scale Postgres in there. We know we can hire, we know we can get consultants in to help us with Postgres if we get stuck. Yep. Uh, you know, it's a standard technology. People know it. Like when you come in, people can help us optimize queries, all that good stuff. Um, and people like it from an audit point of view. If we're selling to a corporate client, we can explain to them, oh yeah, we've got like, this GraphQL thing that you might not understand, but it's Postgres at the back, and they know what that is, and yep. they're comfortable with Postgres, and it, it's, it ticks a lot of boxes. Good stuff. Uh, no, it's, it's a, 
I said it's it's entirely dependent on on your experience. I think. Um, oh, and it entirely depends what when you're in the market and the specific use case you're looking for, right? It's yeah. it's it is. It will always come down to a couple of different things. One, your knowledge, your time, and your money. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're starting out, avoid paying for your databases. Mm-hmm. That's just silly. I mean, there's enough free solutions out there. And then, of course, when it comes to actually accessing and doing all the stuff you need to do, it's going to be dependent upon your app, your time, and your money. And there's also it's also worth mentioning as well that almost every enterprise-grade um, database these days, I think Oracle might be an exception, but My, um, MySQL um, is kind of the Oracle baby now. It's owned by Oracle, isn't it? Um, it is. Yeah. It is. I can't remember. Is Oracle Asset or not? Asset compliant? Yeah. Not well, Oracle's Asset oh, compliant, Oracle but database, I can't. Yeah. But I can't remember if MySQL is because I remember there was Asset, time MySQL is, yeah. where it was divergent or so, something like it did some I, weird I think, things, and I just I think, can't. I think, spell I, think you have, I think you have to choose the right database engine in MySQL. I think some of the options are and some aren't. If I remember right. Yeah, it's same I with Mongo. Um, it. Mo- Mongo's not Asset compliant. I don't think anyway. Yeah. But, but anyway, it's. Hey, anyway, um, it's yeah. The the whole the whole thing is is if you are I come from a background where usually my clients pay ridiculous license fees for Oracle MySQL or not MySQL um uh, or SQL SQL Server SQL Server SQL Server and I don't need to really worry about that half the time I just work with the enterprise version and I've got all of the features and I can implement everything and anything I want and I've got time to do that usually but it's worth noting as a small startup that even SQL Server oracle might i don't know but even sql server now has a free offering that you can use which has massively cut down versions but it still kind of gets you up so if you know sql work with that you know if you know sql server work with that MySQL also has an enterprise version now that you can pay for which has got a lot more features and, and additional uh, additional things that you can use in the enterprise you might need them as a startup but it's very unlikely that you'll need to scale that quickly you know I mean, at some point, you may need more features than Postgre will offer. I don't know. Well, at that yeah, point maybe. in time, he'll be rolling in the money, and he'll yeah. be able to make other people <laughs> yeah. do it, right? Right. That's the way startups work. I mean, that's that's what we've seen in our startup show. We'll, we'll, we'll stitch that into our GraphQL schema with this new yeah. database over there. It'll be transparent. But the, the beauty, see, the beauty of tiered software is the as well. That's the beauty. That's one Absolutely. of the things that I think I'm so drawn to about GraphQL is the fact that you can still keep what you've got and then implement something entirely different and new, and yet you don't have to make massive sweeping changes. You just don't with well-designed and, software you shouldn't need to do uh, services specifically you shouldn't need to do that anyway but yeah. again that's not the reality of the world a lot of the time you know uh there, there's nothing like having those new hires come in and be like well you guys have been using this but this is the latest and greatest and i'm going to force you to use it and they make you change into that because you can't do anything else and then they leave you because now they found a higher paying job yeah <laughs> That's almost an RTFM. Well, speaking of RTFM, we're uh, we're actually getting to that point in the show now. Unless there's anything, Gordon, you wanted to wrap up. Is there anything specifically you wanted to say about the tech side of things or the startup side of things before we we move on? Uh, there's much more I could say about the startup <laughs> side of things. And, we'll uh, have him back on. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's for a different show. But uh, yeah, I just um, yeah, I think I've said what I wanted to say. I'm just really happy with the choices we've made for the kind of business that we are. It seems to be feels like now we have a platform that we're good for for a few years. And, yeah. uh, uh, that has got to feel good. Yeah, it does, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's nice to have settled on something. 
Finally. <laughs> and, and yes, Nexus, I, I, he's made comment in Discord. Yes, I am very salty about some of the things I've seen in my life. But yes, it is RTFM moment. This is that catharsis moment in the show where we all get to pick a thing, whether it's in the dev world, not in the dev world, whatever, that we just want to get off of the chest because it's so frustrating. Do you have one of these, my darling guest, Gordon? Do I? Yes, I certainly do. And it's something I've wanted a bit of a rant about for a while. And uh, it'd uh, just be the startup, uh, the startup world. I've not had uh, other devs to uh, chat to about it. But uh, AWS, I am. Like, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, I am in AWS for permissions. The cloud no, services, uh, the, the cloud thing. platforms offer so the... many different pla things, uh, services these days. Uh, I'm lost. With uh, that. It's just a mention of AWS permissions. Yes. Goat. The, uh, it's, oh my word. It's simultaneously incredibly impressive. Uh, you can define really granular rules on this specific user, can have this specific record in DynamoDB and like and somehow you update it and it instantly globally propagates and you know it's, it's technically amazing but oh my word it is like one of the most frustrating things to get right when you're on the new projects hmm. they uh, deploy some code build it we use terraform now and like you know do terraform apply oh it's failed because you haven't granted list db clusters like with this specific option and here and you're like oh my word have that permission <laughs> run it again Oh, right, now you haven't added, like, edit DB clusters. Oh, okay, edit. Right, then, right, run it again. Oh, now you haven't added modified DB clusters or something. This, so, this oh, doesn't sound like a problem with IAMs. This sounds like a problem with DevOps. Uh, this is a DevOps uh, thing. Well, if you if you work yeah. in that world, what this what this what this what this yeah what this comes down to to me is in the security world where I live by the philosophy of denial. Start yeah, like that, that's the way it is. And AWS is very very much so deny all. So like you could. Like, if you're trying to set up a, a, a just a tiny little server that you want to have access to, you still have to explicitly allow the user to have access to an explicit port. And if you haven't set that even just up remotely right, they can access the port, but they can do nothing else. Mm -hmm. So it, it can get really, 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 really granular because you can actually specify, yes, they can actually send, say, an ICMP packet. And that's the only thing that that IP address is allowed to get through on that port. Yep. And if you don't specify anything else, like just some kind of SSH connection or something else, you're sitting there going, what the hell? Like? And it's it, because it's so, so granular, it is almost overkill for a lot of tiny projects. I can't believe that coming out of your mouth, Josie. Overkill oh. for the security. That's... <laughs> okay, do you want to know why? Because when you have a small project, right, and you really just want to get the project done, you are more likely to do grant all. Yes. Which to yeah. me means it's now become an overkill project mm -hmm. or an mm -hmm. overkill ACL solution. But, you know... Yeah. I, I've had issues with AWS in the past. Today, I'm salty, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I'm right there with you. I get you. Yeah, I good. get you. Uh, good. I'm, I'm glad to share that, and I'm glad to uh, to uh, connect there. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Chris? Um, well, mine... This week, specifically, I, um, for listeners of the show, know that I am starting a new project next week, which I'm very, very excited about. Um but I've also had two other clients, three as of today, plus potentially another one that I've been speaking to today, that 
um, all want me all of a sudden, and I had no work for. I mean, I've had little bits of work, you know, to tide me over, but I've hadn't haven't had any big juicy projects. Everybody all of a sudden wants me, and I think it's because it's the end of the year and budgets are getting signed off and people are getting over the Christmas thing. And it's really annoying because some of the, in fact, all of the projects I want to work on. I love my, I love working with the clients that I've, I've developed over the last few years, but most of the time they want me full time. And I am, I, it's just really annoying that I can't do it all. And I can't really outsource the work either. I can't, I mean, legally I probably could, but it's just difficult for me to get that kind of sign off from my clients. Because they hire me, they hire me for my skills, you know. And, and it's anyway, that's my that's my. It's not a big RTFM, but it's just that time of year where it's like, oh, everybody just suddenly goes right tick box, get Chris in. Oh, he's not available, and then I won't get the work, and I probably won't get future work either because they've got somebody else to do. Oh, anyway, and then in three months, six months time, I won't have any work, and there'll be nobody who wants. <laughs> and he'll be complaining then, yeah. so it'll be yeah. perfectly fine. Well, <laughs> As, as we have said multiple times on the show, if you do any kind of either, you know, solo company running, which both uh, Chris and I do, we have single person, single employee companies, and you do any kind of freelance, it is feast or famine. It, that's just the way it works. Mine is a little different. Um, I get hired by a lot of clients to check out feature sets and tools and make recommendations and things like that. And my complaint comes from the fact that I am absolutely sick and tired of misleading sales emails. God help me. Um, I understand what it means to keep up an ongoing engagement with potential clients. I understand the whole concept of, oh, potential pipeline success. Yay. I get that. But if you are reaching out for me for sales and you are trying to find out whether or not I am ready for your particular project or anything else like that, um, don't start your subject matter with, we really need your help. Why does it make you feel guilty? It's emotional blackmail because you go in and what you, you well, for me, it's emotional blackmail. I'm going to say it wouldn't be me. I'd be like, well. Yeah, it, I need it, a million it, it, pounds, but I'm not getting it, am I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, for me, it's the misleading things that happen. And it just is so, so frustrating. language. Exactly. It's, I, I like, and maybe it's just me, but I like straightforward straight shooters. Yep. Period. You know, if you're trying to sell me something and what you're saying to me or trying to get across to me is the fact that you have a sale going on or, you know, you, you may have to stop contacting me because it, the client's taking too long to get back to you, whatever, I get that. But don't try to emotionally blackmail me into giving you my reading time. I, I get emails and I read my emails on purpose. So, I, I, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't agree more. There's nothing worse than being sold to in a way that you know you're being sold to and manipulated. And then you see this and you think, couldn't you have just asked me straight up right, whether I'm interested? Uh, yeah, you don't need to go through this whole process of trying to manipulate me. Right, yes. I, it just feels bad. I, you know what? This is where I'm actually going to switch the RTFM and say, I, I like what you guys have done at Lineup and Ninja. Oh, thanks, Josie. They, they have this thing. They say, you can get in touch with us for a demo or, you know, however you want to do it. You will not get sales calls from us. Yep. That's because we don't have a sales team. That's the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, we're going to come back to it in like a few months and I'll be like, Gordon, got- what did you do? I've got to How be honest. I think, I honestly think that cold calling and t- like typical sales and marketing, traditional sales and marketing is dead. I really do. I believe that I- it's... 100% agree with that. And I think anyone who tries to follow the tried, true, and traditional stuff, you will never hear the, from me or one of my clients. I know I know, we're not big on LinkedIn on this, uh, on this podcast, but I do go on LinkedIn occasionally, and a lot of people post a lot of rubbish on there, a lot of mm-hmm. um, motivational rubbish as well. But also, there's a lot of people who post things like traditional marketing is dead, you should be. You shouldn't be. St- you're boring. What you're posting. If you people don't want to know what you're selling, they don't want to know what your uh, what your product is and what it can do and what it can't do and how brilliant it is. Because everybody sells that. What they want to know, as I said, uh, I'm not sure if I said it on the podcast. It might have been pre pod um, in the in the preamble before we we went live. But what they're actually what they're actually interested in is you your story the business what what's interesting about your yeah. business so people people but people by people yes people I, by i'm people. going to give out probably Absolutely. one of the best marketing tips that i use inside of my everyday stuff with the marketing things that i do for my clients they are interested in like chris said the story but what they're actually interested in is what they can get from you and it's never going to be what you're actually selling mm-hmm it isn't. It is going to be either the industry expertise that you bring, or it's going to be the personalities that you have, or the information that you share and you give away for free, or it's going to be um, the way you connect with people, or you do networking, or you have people connect with other people, because that means more than the cost of your project, or your platform, or your service. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. That is the best piece of marketing advice I can give you. If you are going to try to market your product, don't market your product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's no harm in having a website with details and things like that on it, but that's, pushing it sure, in people's faces is a thing. Yeah. But see, that's completely different. I mean, like- where, where we've made our sales so far is going up, it's going to like expos, conferences, going up, talking to people, introducing ourselves, getting to know them, finding the people that have the kind of problems we're trying to solve and, and meeting them and talking to them. Mm. Yeah. Uh, understanding their issues. And that's where our sales have come from. Oh, listen. Oh, listen, Lindsay. But yes. The, uh, it's, so... it's, been a, uh, it's been a growing experience to do that, for sure. You know, the, uh, to get, get up there and start doing that kind of thing. It's, it's all been part of the startup experience, for sure. Absolutely. But yes, so we have now officially reached the end of our show. Thank you to all of you fantastic people for joining us on Twitch. Massive hellos to you, Nexus and Invina, and also for everyone else like Ethercall who piped in to say that Postgre and VMware are a good combo. (laughs) Made mention of that earlier and I wanted to fit it in, but we were right in the middle of a topic and stuff. So, yes, thank you so Mm. much. And and yes, uh, speaking of our website and Twitter and everything else, we uh, we are we do have. Oh my God, sorry, (laughs) I've completely fumbled that one. Uh, Right, so we have Twitter, we have a website, we have all. We're on all the social media platforms. We also are on Spotify as well. If you are interested in that, we're on Fireside. We have a website that links all of these things, apart from Spotify, which we are going to get on there, uh, which I. uh, I've admitted. Sorry, I'm currently in the process of updating the uh, the show listing so we can have ordered listings and do some 
nice yes. ordering and things like that. So. In fact, I'm going to jump in here. If you are interested in seeing our code, in this particular case, mostly Chris's, I've done a tiny little bit, like maybe like two lines. But if you're interested in seeing the code for our website, you can see it on GitHub at github.com slash documentation not included. And it includes some tests and things. And mm -hmm. if anyone wants to get involved or anything else like that, it is Angular built on a .NET. .NET Core back, back end, yes. .NET, yep, .NET Core. Um, and we'd love to have anyone, if you have ideas, suggestions, you can throw them up in issues and things like that. And if you want to get involved, please do. So, yes. <laughs> That's me jumping into that one. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at DNI Stream. We do have some random humorous things there. And, you know, what well, we've done this in completely the wrong order. I read the wrong bit of the script then. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Gordon. We're organized. Oh. Well, that's okay. I, I was just, like, I was looking at the Twitch chat, I've got to be honest, just to see if we hadn't missed anybody. So I was thinking about the, the viewers. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, so anyway, Gordon, you, you have a... more important than you, anything else. Yeah, you have an opportunity here to uh, tell us your website, pimp your company, etc. Um, any twitter handles or anything you want to say um and say goodbye to everybody okay yeah Th thank you all for watching and coming today to, to hear me ramble on the uh our company is called lineup ninja we're at lineup.ninja and that might be partly why uh, the company's called lineup ninja because the domain was available <laughs> the, um, uh, our uh, twitter handle is at lineup ninja and uh, if you do anything in events management come check out our website there's a video on there and sign up for a free trial or just grab us on twitter and we'll have a chat excellent and that's us right so here we go yes. so we <laughs> hope to see everyone gordon we're gonna have you back i mean that's a given oh great um and I'd, I'd you'll, you'll have to come come back and talk all of the stuff with us i'd love to um, but yes, we hope to see all of you guys next week, Thursday, 7 p.m. GMT. And you can see us on twitch.tv slash DNI stream, or you can catch up with our podcast and everything else next week. We actually have one of our listeners and viewers joining us. Oh. Mm. In fact, this was actually spurned from a conversation that was had during the show when we had our guest Thornton around. Okay. Or was it last week? My brain has completely fried. A couple of fried. weeks ago now. So it, it, when we were talking about how the world of IT is 24-7. Nope, that was last week. That was last week specifically when we were talking about... Indispensable developer. <laughs> the indispensable yes. developer and all this stuff that goes with it. But yes, um, in fact, Gaz, aka Ethercall, thank you very much for volunteering to be put on the chopping block with us. We're going to be discussing the 24-hour world of IT. Hey, it's a good job we don't have sponsors, isn't it? Because we would have to, we have to, we drop them for this episode. <laughs> we have to drop them for every episode. It would just be one of those things where we might weasel them in, or sort of like wiggle in a sponsor somewhere. If anyone's interested in sponsoring our show, please contact Josie at. Yeah, yes. yeah, go ahead, contact me, Josie at dnistream.live. I don't care. <laughs> right. Remember, just just, just don't start role. your email with "I need your help." With, <laughs> email with "I need your assistance." I, I need this. No, just be blunt with me. Tell me what you're after and what you're looking to do, and we'll figure it out from there. And that goes for anyone who's watching. If you want to actually be on the show, we do allow our visitors, our guests, our listeners, etc., to join. But yeah. Other than that, it's a goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. From Gordon. Goodbye. And from my loudmouth badass self. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.